Hello, my friends. This is Dan Jones with another quiet talk to share with you today. Now, before I start here, I want you to know that I'm not personally going to judge what's happening at Asbury University in Kentucky. I haven't been there, and I've never met any of the people involved. But others are already judging Asbury, also without having been there. They began judging this event when it had barely been going on for a week. So that's the explanation for the title of my talk. Some critics have highlighted an individual who stood up and spoke in ways that are not perhaps fully orthodox and attempted to use that expression to dismiss the whole thing. That's wrong for obvious reasons. Nobody claims that every student present in that chapel is a seasoned disciple filled with wisdom and the full and true knowledge of God. Some are no doubt new converts, even though they attend a Christian university. Believe me, as one who spent a year at a Christian college, not everybody there is a mature believer. Some were sent there by their parents because they didn't know what to do with them. Of course, revivals always have their critics. Since I've never met any of these folks personally, never sat down with them for a chat, I will not try to read their motives, talking about the critics. However, I've had many chats with myself. I know that I have a tendency to judge anyone who seems to have a deeper commitment to Christ than I do, especially if they hold views that are contrary to my own theological hobby horses. How dare you pretend to be more spiritual than me? I've been a Christian for over 50 years, was practically born in church, and It was a church that had the correct doctrine, by the way. In any event, it's dangerous to judge the spiritual experience of other people, especially if you've never met them. This applies to the students at Asbury. I'm sure many of them are genuinely seeking God and seeking to fully yield themselves to Him. There are others, no doubt, who, as I mentioned, are students in a Christian college, but who perhaps are just beginning their walk with Christ. They're not perfect. They have flaws like I do and like the critics of this event do. As usual, the Bible is a real help here. I'd like to talk about a revival, I think we can call it that, that took place in Jerusalem. To the religious establishment, it was definitely out of order. There was certainly a lot of enthusiasm I'm talking about the day of Pentecost. Now, certainly these modern-day guardians of orthodoxy would aver that what happened at Pentecost was a work of God, and we are conveniently separated from that work by a safe distance of almost 2,000 years. I have no doubt that there are sincere Christians nowadays who would have been very uncomfortable if they had been there. After all, everybody was speaking in tongues, crazy stuff. Pentecost is an interesting theological subject. Just please don't let anything like that happen again. So what did the seasoned religious experts say about all that? They said, I'm sure with great compassion and understanding, these people are drunk. Years ago when I was a young Christian who, by the way, knew just about everything, There was a cute saying that went around, a fanatic is somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. And when you get right down to it, isn't that 
what it's supposed to be about? According to our Savior, the first and most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Why just saying that sounds kind of fanatical. He didn't say that the greatest commandment was to have the correct view of predestination or the second coming or speaking in tongues. He said, first of all, we must love God. And by the way, the second most important commandment is to love others. I wonder how the criticism of what's happening at Asbury expresses that love that Jesus didn't suggest but command. You know, some of the people in the Bible that really bless me the most don't even get their names in there. One of these is known to us simply as the woman at the well. Jesus was passing through Samaria. That was the place where those people with incorrect doctrine lived. The godly folks wanted nothing to do with them. They were the kind of people you you definitely didn't want your sister to marry. It was high noon, and Jesus was hot and thirsty. He sat down by a well, and a woman came along to draw water. Women didn't usually do this at high noon. Maybe this lady didn't want to face the whispers and sideways looks of the good girls who came later in the day when it wasn't so hot. Anyway, Jesus spoke to this woman with a bad reputation and asked her for a drink. What you need to know about her is that her private life was a mess. She had had five husbands and was currently shacking up with a man she wasn't married to. She certainly shouldn't be allowed to speak at a polite religious gathering. Bad look, you know. But after just a short conversation with this hot and thirsty man, she brought her whole town to Jesus. I wish I could do that. I've been preaching for more years than I care to remember, but I've never brought a whole town to Christ. But this sinful woman did so. There's no doubt that she did not become a perfected saint on the spot. Like the rest of us, I'm sure she still had a lot of things to work through with the help of the Spirit. But God used her in a dramatic way. A preacher from down south that has blessed me much by his teaching ministry once said that God sometimes uses people that I don't approve of. There's a lot of wisdom in that. God used Samson, and boy, did he have some issues. Believe it or not, I have occasionally had folks tell me that, that I help them spiritually. I think to myself, if they only knew. If God has ever used me, what that southern preacher said was definitely true because I don't approve of myself. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that I find very encouraging. It goes like this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. What does that mean? Most common jars and pots in Paul's day were made of clay. In other words, dirt, earthen vessels. He uses these as a figure for our own human bodies. 
I seem to recall that we were originally made out of dirt too. God in great wisdom has determined that his Holy Spirit will live in us weak and flawed humans. The apostle tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple, of course, means house, dwelling place. Why would God want to live in me? I'm a sinner. I make mistakes, not perfect. Well, first of all, his continued dwelling in me changes me over time to make me what I ought to be. Doesn't happen overnight. But there's another reason. God lives in these clay pots, and that's Paul's point here, that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, by working through us weak humans, God gets all the glory. And that's the point. If God can work through these college kids, many of whom don't have their lives in order yet, and some of whom don't even profess correct theology, maybe he can work through me. He might even be able to work through you. So don't be so quick to judge these students in Kentucky. Instead of banging out a blog post to demonstrate that you know the mind of God better than anybody, why don't you pray for him? I want to leave you with a verse about Jesus Christ. I won't expound on it. Just meditate on it and let God speak to you. It's actually two verses, Matthew 12, 20, and 21. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will trust. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, that you mercifully use flawed people, sinners like me and like that woman of Samaria. God, I believe you're using these young people in Kentucky. They're at Asbury University. I believe you're doing a work there. I pray that it will deepen, that it will be life-changing for those involved, Lord. Most of all, I pray, oh God, that through these flawed, imperfect human beings, that God will be glorified, that the surpassing greatness of the power may seem to, seem to be from God and not from us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, there are some flawed human beings like me and like some of my friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are seeking to establish a work for the Lord in the Schenectady area and brought more broadly the capital district of New York, Albany area. It's called the Bread of Life Anglican Church. We meet Sundays at 10 o'clock at the American Legion Hall, which is located at 1809 Union Street in Schenectady. And if you don't have a church home, if you live around here, we would love to see you Sunday at 10, 1809 Union Street, Schenectady. As always, you can reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. May God richly bless you, I pray.